Well, when we were putting together the summer series and the list of speakers, one of the men that I was looking forward to hearing because I'd heard of his ministry is Dr. John Monroe. Dr. Monroe pastors not far from here. He pastors in North Carolina, in Charlotte area, Calvary Church. He's been there about seven and a half years. Church a little larger than Colonial, preaches each Sunday morning to about 4,000 people. As you listen to him preach this morning, he's not going to preach with a North Carolina accent, though, all right? He comes from Scotland. He came to the United States. He and his wife, several years ago, came to study at Dallas Theological Seminary after having a law career in Scotland, came and did his Master's of Theology degree, and then went on for his doctorate degree. The Lord has used him in pastorates and now brought him to the North Carolina area. You're going to love listening to him this morning as he preaches. He preaches with a shepherd's heart and a pastor's passion. And I've listened to him the last couple of hours, and my soul's been stirred in each of the messages. His wife, Goodney, is with him as well. She sat through all three services this morning with him, and uh, it's good to have her here. I'm going to ask Goodney to stand, remain standing for a moment. I'm going to ask John to come to the platform. Let's give a good colonial welcome then, shall we? Well, thanks for that wonderful welcome. We do feel welcome at Colonial Baptist, and my wife and I are trying to perfect the North Carolinian accent. As you say here, we're trying. We're trying. I've learned in North Carolina, you don't, at least in Charlotte, maybe up here you talk differently, but in the Charlotte area, they don't pronounce the G on the end of the word. So they don't say speeding, they say speeding. Uh, have you got a speeding ticket? And uh, so when people say to me, you talk with an accent, I say, really? <laughs> you know, have you ever heard yourself? Right. Um, what I, I do believe is that we were talking like this long before you were talking like that. So, uh, <laughs> but Goody and I did become American citizens in Charlotte six years ago. I think it was six or seven years ago we became uh, U.S. citizens So this is our home state, so I feel very much at home in North Carolina. And uh, it's a beautiful state. We love it here. Charlotte's a beautiful city. And if you're ever visiting the Queen City of Charlotte, on the south side is uh, Calvary Church. We give you a warm welcome. I was very intrigued when I learned from your pastor about the series in the book of Acts. And the little caption below caught my attention, the story continues. Because it's very easy to read the book of Acts and to study the book of Acts as you've been doing this summer, I'm sure, and to think it all took place in another universe. It seems so far removed from us, doesn't it, when we see the mighty works of God through the book of Acts. And we tend to think, wrongly of course, that this could never happen today. But this little caption, the story continues, reminds us that the story can and should continue. However, the story will only continue one way, and this is what I want to say to you this morning. This is the passion of my heart this morning in this message. The story can only continue one way if the divine mission is accomplished with divine power. Divine mission with divine power accomplishing supernaturally transformed lives. Isn't that what we believe? Now, if you try to live the Christian life in your own strength, if you try to continue the story by yourself, you will fail. 
Could you imagine if for the last five years you've been traveling to work on an old rusty bicycle and you've been pedaling in the rain? I don't know if you've got many hills here in Cary, North Carolina. We have a few in Charlotte. But can you imagine trying to get this bike up the hills in the rain, in the difficulty, in the winter, and it's tough, tough work, and you get very, very frustrated. And then, can you believe it? I know the men will perk up here. I certainly would. Can you imagine if someone gave you the gift of a Maserati, a Maserati Grand Cabrio MC 4.7 liter V8 engine? Zero to 60 in 4.9 seconds. That's why I call it car. I've always liked fast cars. Being a pastor, of course, you can't indulge these things. We've got to behave ourselves. But uh, I've always liked fast cars. After the second service, a man came to me and said, I'll forget your Maserati. He said, I drive a Porsche and it can go even faster, zero to 60. I don't know. I still prefer the Maserati. Right? I mean, it just looks good. You see Porsches. How many Maseratis do you see? Not many. So that's my kind of car. But can you imagine you've got this Maserati in your driveway? Top speed, men and a few ladies, 179 miles per hour. Now, even I don't drive that fast. But can you imagine? You've got this powerful machine in your driveway, given to you as a gift. And you keep using that rusty old bicycle. It's inconceivable, isn't it? I would say to you, what on earth are you doing? Traveling to work, pedaling furiously, making such difficult headway when you've got this beautiful, powerful machine. Jump in it, put it into gear. Feel the amazing power of the Maserati. Use it. You know what I'm saying? God in His grace gives you The power of himself, the power of Almighty God through his Spirit. Why are we so foolish? Why are we so stubborn to try to live the Christian life, to try to do ministry, to try to have the story continuing in our own strength? No wonder we fail. No wonder it's frustrating. No wonder we feel tired in the Christian life sometimes because we're trying to do the Lord's work in our own strength. What I'm saying to you this morning is very simple. I want you to understand it. Divine mission accomplished with divine power supernaturally transforms lives. Now let's think first of all of the divine mission. I invite you to open your Bibles to the third gospel, Luke chapter 24, and we're going to remind ourselves of the divine mission. I'm sure you've studied this in the summer series on the book of Acts with the continuing story. Here's a refresher on it as we need it. Divine mission, Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Jesus has died, has been buried, has been raised from the dead, is about to ascend to his Father and his God. And he is with the disciples, verse 45, then he is, he that is Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem 
You are witness of these things. What is Jesus saying? I'm giving you the divine mission. The divine mission is to proclaim this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the nations. What a message. A message not just for us in North Carolina, not just for Americans, not just for Scotsmen, but for all the nations. Having regard to the character of God, that shouldn't surprise us because we know that God is love. He's infinite in his love. And the Bible tells us that God so loved the world. And that Jesus in John chapter 4 is described as, so beautifully, as the Savior of the world. None excluded. And God in his grace brings the gospel to you sitting here in North Carolina. God in his grace brought the gospel to me in Scotland. Wherever we are, this is the message. To make disciples, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, to make disciples of all the nations. No one is excluded. And when Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission, what I'm calling the Divine Mission, when he gives us that to the disciples in Matthew chapter 28, before giving the mission, before commissioning the disciples, he reminds them, all power, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. There is no higher authority. There is no greater power in the universe. Jesus is Lord of the universe. He is number one and has all authority. There is no appeal from his authority. And he says to you and to me, go. This is the mission. This is what we proclaim. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. What a message. The world, of course, doesn't like repentance, doesn't like to hear about sin. Sin has even been thrown out from some churches. It's been marginalized. We want to redefine it. But the greatest need in the universe is not economic or political or educational or social. The greatest need in the universe is a spiritual problem. Our greatest need is that we are sinners before a holy God and that our sins must be forgiven. And the only way our sins can be forgiven is to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who came as the Savior of sinners. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He is the only one who can set you free from your sin. He's the only one who can deliver you from the sinful choices that you continue to make. You say, what's so special about Jesus Christ? Well, he's God. He comes from heaven to earth, lives a sinless life, the only one who ever did that, died on the cross for our sins, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. How does he bring us to God? He offers us forgiveness of our sins because not only does he die, not only is he buried, but on the third day he rises from the dead and he is the living Christ ascends and returns to heaven. If there's anyone else in the universe who did that, put your trust in them. But there is no other one. As Peter says in Acts 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the divine mission. This is what we teach our children in the home. This is what we teach in Sunday school. This is what we communicate to our neighbors, to our colleagues at work. Forgiveness through repentance and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But this divine mission is not just to proclaim the gospel. It is, as Jesus says, to make disciples of all of the nations, to make authentic followers of Jesus. Receiving Jesus as your personal Savior is the most important event in your life. What a transformation to have all of my sins forgiven, to receive eternal life, to be adopted into the family of God. How wonderful, a stupendous act, but only the beginning. And now, as a new follower of Jesus, I am to grow in my faith. I am to be nurtured. This is why you have adult life groups. This is why we come together as the people of God. We are to be taught. We are to be encouraged. We are to be prayed for so that we become more and more like Jesus, so that we truly love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, that we become like Jesus and we proclaim to a lost world, this is what Jesus Christ looks like. Isn't that our task? To display Jesus? And then as God gives us opportunities to tell others about Jesus. Jesus reminds us in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 that we are to teach. Those who become converts are to be taught to observe all that I have commanded you, Jesus says to his disciples. And so we teach the word of God. And we see the wonderful outworking of this, don't we, in the book of Acts. Some people want to turn the church into a political action center or a social club or an entertainment center or even an educational center. But we have a divine mission, a mission coming from God himself, coming from the risen Christ who reminds us he has all authority. What is it? It is to proclaim repentance. Luke is recording repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now, I think you understand that. But the divine mission will never be accomplished without divine power. Look 24 again. I stopped at verse 48. Let's read verse 49. We will never accomplish the divine mission without divine power. Verse 49. Jesus is still speaking to his disciples. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Spirit. I'm going to send that to you, the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city, Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power. Notice that. You're clothed with power. Where does this power come from? Luke tells us, power from on high. Our society tells us we have this power within, that enlightenment is within. Our society believes in self-actualization. Dream your own dream, and whatever you dream, you can accomplish. How utter foolish. I'd love to be able to fly. I'd love to be able to have a Maserati in my driveway. Although it does strike me someone out here might be a very kind person. And think how envious my fellow pastors would be if I drove back to Charlotte tonight in a Maserati. Dreaming your own dream isn't going to do it. Jesus says this power comes not from within. It comes from on high. It is supernatural power. It is divine power for divine mission. Turn over to the book of Acts now. First of all, Acts chapter 1. Jesus is promising the Spirit. Again, he promises it in Acts 1 verse 8. 
Notice what Jesus says as recorded by Luke. But you will receive what? Power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And now in Acts chapter 2, as you go over to Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on the disciples of Jesus at Pentecost, as promised by Jesus. Now they're receiving the promise of the Father. Now they're receiving divine power from on high. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven, not from within. This is not New Age. This is not Oprah Winfrey. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the fulfillment that Jesus prophesied. You're going to receive this power from on high. And now it comes. Notice Luke is recording. It comes from heaven. It is divine power for divine mission. Now the day of the Feast of Pentecost was the 50th day after the Passover feast. Remember the Passover feast recorded in Exodus chapter 12 as the people are just about to be delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea? That wonderful feast when they roasted unblemished lamb. And now, 50 days later, 50 days after the feast of Passover is the feast of Pentecost, and Jews from all over the known world are in the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. And on that day, 50 days exactly since the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, since the Lamb of God died for our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this sacrifice which is the perfect sacrifice, which is going to end all sacrifices, which is going to end the Levitical system, because this is the sacrifice offered by our Lord Jesus Christ for our sins. And now that that sacrifice has been made and God authenticates it by raising his son from the dead, now 50 days later, the promised spirit the promise of my Father comes with power. Jesus had given the mission to the disciples. This is what I want you to do. Go and preach the gospel to all the nations. Go and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins. And you know what a terrible bunch the disciples were, don't you, as you read the gospels? They continued to fail. They seemed so slow. They fell into sin. Their hearts were hardened, characterized by unbelief, just like us or just like the congregation in Calvary Church. I don't know about you. Maybe you're better. But they were a motley crew, weren't they? And as we read the book of Acts, we see these same men so much that they are turning the world upside down. And we say, what on earth happened to these men? These ordinary men are now doing extraordinary supernatural things. What made all the difference? Divine power. Received from on high. Received from heaven. Now, do you believe, as I believe from the teaching of the New Testament, 
that every true believer who receives Christ as their personal Savior and Lord is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? I believe that. Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, Christ lives in me. That's the Christian life. Not trying to do religious things in your own strength. Not going through some liturgy. Not some cultural Christianity. But the power of Almighty God in us and through us. And we do, don't we? Grave injustice to biblical Christianity when we reduce the Christian life to going through some religious exercises, joining a church, being nice people. I don't know about Cary, North Carolina, but I know Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a religious city. It's what I call, it's full of cultural Christians. Many people go to church on a Sunday. They teach their children nice manners. They're nice people. They're wonderful people. But many of them know nothing of the supernatural in their lives. They have never, ever had a living encounter with the living Christ. A form of godliness, churchianity, nice people, nice neighbors, wonderful people, but have never known the true God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a supernatural life. It is the most radical event of our lives being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Yes, there is. Isn't this encouraging this morning? There is divine power for you, for me, for Colonial Baptist Church, for Calvary Church. There is divine power for divine mission. E.M. Bounds, who writes these convicting little books on prayer, I'm almost scared to read them. You need to put on asbestos gloves to read them. They're so hot. E.M. Bounds writes, The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use. That's it, isn't it? Not some church growth techniques. I'm tired of techniques. Not following the latest bestseller or the latest video series that somebody marks it. What we need is divine power for divine mission. I'm sure at Colonial Baptist Church you have many gifted, experienced, mature Christian people, and that's wonderful. You've certainly got wonderful facilities. But let me tell you, there will be no lasting impact in this community, in Cary, North Carolina, in your life and your home, unless there is divine power. We can be very orthodox in our Christianity, but if we're doing it in our own efforts, nothing will be accomplished. I'm saying to you very strongly this morning that divine mission must be accomplished with divine power. Isn't that what our Lord taught us in in John chapter 15 with the analogy of the true vine? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. What's the point? Abide in Christ. This is the life of union and communion with Christ. He is the true vine, we are the branches. We draw our resources, our very life from Christ himself. And then he says in John 15 verse 5, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Really? Now, of course, we can do many things by ourselves. We're organized, we're capable people. We can do a lot of things that look very good externally. That's not what Jesus is 
talking about. The Pharisees and the Sadducees did a lot that were outwardly very impressive, but inwardly it was hollow. Know what Jesus is saying. Unless you draw on my power, there will be no lasting impact in your life. Isn't that what Solomon meant in Psalm 127? Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. You want to have a Christian home? I applaud you. You want to raise your children in fear and admonition of the Lord? I applaud you. You want to have a vital growing marriage? That is magnificent. Praise God for your desire. But you can work very hard. And unless the Lord is in it, you will labor in vain. Unless you draw on divine power for divine mission, it will not be accomplished. Paul recognized that, as he says, on behalf of the apostles in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in clay pots. Now, Paul's a pretty impressive individual, isn't he? He seems to be good at everything he does. Outstanding theologian, missionary, pastor, writer. He is just absolutely wonderful. And Paul is saying, no, 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 I'm nothing. Don't make me a celebrity. I'm just a clay pot. We have this treasure. That is the gospel, the treasure of the divine mission. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of us. Where does the power come from? Not from the preacher. You've got here wonderful sola scriptura, scripture alone. The power is in the word of God, which is inspired by the spirit of God. This is our power as we do divine mission. Now you say, how will we know, John, if we're doing divine mission with divine power? Supernaturally transformed lives. What will it look like from the book of Acts 2? Let me suggest three things to you. Three things... That should be evident as the story continues. When divine mission is done with divine power, I'm going to suggest to you three evidences. As opposed to the cultural pseudo-Christianity, the synthetic Christianity, which is so prevalent today. First of all, biblical and Christ-centered preaching and teaching. As Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, as you read Acts chapter 2, What is the outstanding effect of the pouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Now, a common answer might be tongues or signs and wonders. But these don't dominate Acts 2. Read it again. Rather, what dominates Acts chapter 2 is Peter's powerful preaching. He quotes extensively, for example, from Joel 2. Look at Acts 2.16. Peter says, This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And from 16 through 21, he quotes Joel 2. In verses 23 through 35, Peter quotes from Psalm 16, 2 Samuel 7, and Psalm 110. In other words, Peter's preaching is grounded in and flows from the Word of God. He doesn't give his own ideas. He doesn't even share his testimony. He's not bound by Jewish tradition. He is countercultural. He preaches the Word of God in the power of the Spirit. And surely what our churches need throughout America, indeed throughout the world, is a commitment, a fresh commitment to communicate and to preach the Word of God with accuracy, with clarity, and in the power of the Spirit of God. Peter's preaching 
is biblical. Divine mission with divine power leads to biblical preaching. Peter's preaching is not only biblical, it is Christ-centered. Look at verse 22. Can you imagine Peter just days after the crucifixion? Think of all of the hostility. These people have put Christ on the tree. And what does he do? Tell them a little story. Try to be cool and so creative. Absolutely not. Think of his courage. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's bold, courageous preaching, isn't there? God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by. Peter is presenting our Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior. The one you hanged on the tree is not just a man. He is the Lord Christ Our great God raised him from the dead. He's exalted to the Father's right hand, and he is the only Savior of sinners. Notice what Peter is not doing. He is not preaching a message of prosperity. He's not preaching a message of techniques. He's not preaching a message of self-esteem to make his hearers comfortable. They are very, very uncomfortable at what he's saying. He's preaching Christ. And when we do divine mission with divine power, we will point people to Jesus Christ. Don't you do that with your children at home? Don't you do it in a Sunday school? Don't you do that to your neighbors? We are followers of Christ. Not a cause. Not even so much a church. We are following Jesus Christ. Crucified, buried, raised from the dead, alive forevermore, our soon coming Savior. We point men and women and boys and girls to Jesus Christ. There is no other story because this story is not our story. It is his story. It is Christ crucified. And so while when divine mission is done in in divine power, uh, there will be biblical and Christ-centered preaching. Secondly, there will be salvation of souls in a growing church. What was the result of Peter's preaching? Verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's revival, isn't there? Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Soul winning is central to the mission of the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ is central to what we believe and who we are. We believe that people need to be saved by God's grace. We believe that all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are to represent Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. When you go to school tomorrow, when you go to that office, as you're conducting that business deal, as you're out walking with your neighbors, as you're exercising in the gym, whatever you're doing, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are to represent Christ. You are to display Christ so that people look and see something of Christ about you. I hope you're known at work as a kind person, as a loving person, as hardworking, as someone who reaches out to others. Not as a Pharisee, but you're portraying Christ. And as God gives you opportunity, you're communicating the message of Christ. I know what happens in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but you say they're just young believers. They'd be bored by that. Really? 
bored by teaching about Jesus? How can you be bored in learning about someone you love? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here is a church committed to the ordinances, to prayer, to fellowship, with the result that the church grows. It's filled with worship. They're praising God as they think how awesome God is in His greatness and His grace. Divine mission with divine power producing a church which is saving souls, which is growing, which is praising God and praying, lives being transformed. Now, how about you? We've talked about the church, but what about you as an individual? I want to challenge you before we go this morning that you as a follower of Jesus Christ need to live your life in the Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, where we'll see this very quickly. If you're not familiar with Galatians 5, you need to study it from beginning uh, to end. Followers of Jesus must walk by the Spirit. We're saying that where there's divine mission with divine power, there will be supernaturally transformed lives. It will impact the church, but it will also impact you as an individual. Yes, you as an individual need to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The Spirit gives you new life. The Spirit has indwelt you. Now live by the Spirit. Throw away the old bicycle. Use the Maserati. Use the power at your disposal that God in His grace gives you. You see, all true believers have not only been saved by the grace of God, we are indwelt by the Spirit. And God, through His Spirit, gives us a supernatural power, a supernatural resource, a supernatural wisdom to do all that God intends for us to do. Isn't that good to know? Just think of your week ahead. What has God, God planned for you in your, in your marriage, in your home, in your relationships at work, in the community? Whatever it is, I can ask God for His help in my marriage. So I go to work. I've got that difficult boss. I've got that difficult employee. I've got that difficult customer. Whatever it is, Lord, give me your wisdom. Give me help to raise my children in the ways of the Lord. Help me, God, to understand this difficult husband who keeps talking about his Maserati. I mean, give me insight to this man. Help me. You know, I've been married for 38 years or so, and my wife uh, about six months ago said to me, John, I don't understand you. I thought, what's, what's this? Even those that we love and are dear to, there can be tensions in our home, tensions in our family and our dynamics. What do we need? We need God's wisdom. We need divine help. And it is available. This is what Paul is saying. You've received the Spirit. Live by the Spirit in conscious dependence on Him. This is a command. But notice the command has a wonderful promise. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a good promise, isn't it? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. 
You know, Calvary Church is a wonderful church, but we have a massive problem. Every single person in our church has a battle between the flesh and the spirit. How would you like to pastor that bunch? They've all got sinful desires. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a congregation where everyone was totally spiritual? Of course, they wouldn't choose me as their pastor, but uh, they'd have a wonderful time. Is there anyone here aware of the battle that you have with the flesh, your sinful nature? Anyone here? We've got one honest brother here, a couple of sisters. Of course, we all know it very well. Every day of our life, there is that internal battle because the flesh is our implacable foe, isn't he? The unredeemed humanity, the flesh is never, ever converted, and it always, always is attracted to sin. And try as you might, my dear brother, my dear sister, you will never, ever, ever, on your own strength, get the mastery over your flesh. Paul says, in me that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. Sin dwells in us, but the message of of Galatians 5, the message of Romans 6 is that that flesh will not have dominion over you. Sin dwells in us, it, it resides in us, but it doesn't reign within us. And Paul is telling us something wonderful. You can and I can draw each day on the power of the Spirit. When this battle comes, and when that temptation comes, and these sinful desires make their self known, we are to say no to sin. I am to deny self, Jesus says. I am to take up my cross and follow him. And God gives me all of the strength I need. And please do not tell me, sir, that your temptation that you have is so great that you just have to succumb to it. No, you choose it. You can feed the flesh, Paul says in Romans, in Galatians 6. You can feed the flesh or you can feed the Spirit. You can pursue the things of the Spirit. You can ask God for help. You can look to the Word of God. You can pray. You've got other believers. You have the church all there to help you walk by the Spirit. Earlier summer, Goodney and I and our son and daughter-in-law and three little grandchildren uh, had the use of a house down in Carolina Beach, and it was wonderful. Great week of weather, and we enjoyed it thoroughly. Earlier in the week, here I am, hard-working pastor. think I deserve a little rest, wouldn't you? About quarter past six, half past six, I have two little boys jumping on my bed. One is five and one is two. And my wonderful wife is pretending to be fast asleep. I mean, she says she was sleeping. I know she's not sleeping. She's pretending to be asleep. So I have to deal with the boys. Of course, I love them a lot, and I'm left with them. And after trying to get them to calm down in the bed, futile exercise, I say, okay, we're going to go to the beach. And we walked right from the house right onto the beach, and that was wonderful. There was hardly anyone there. The sun was just coming up. The sea was calm. They were running on the beach, picking up shells, digging holes in the, in the sand, paddling in the water and having a great time. And there were the seagulls. And these boys... You know, they live in Fort Mill, South Carolina, just over the border from us in Charlotte. They're not used to seagulls, and they're fascinated by these seagulls. And they start chasing the seagulls. The seagulls are just walking on the sand, having a good time, minding their own business. And my little grandsons are chasing these seagulls. And the seagulls let them get so far, and then as the boys try and catch them, the birds just fly away. And our two-year-old little Ian got very, very frustrated 
after doing this, and he put his hands on his side. Don't know where he would get that from. He puts his hands on his side and shouts to the birds, Stop! Stop! Did the birds answer? No. It's the nature of a bird to fly. And my little grandson can shout, Stop! Stop! All he wants. And the birds are still going to fly. That's their nature. And you can all day shout to the flesh, Stop! 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 And it won't listen to you. Because the nature of the flesh is the sin. It's comforted by sin. It enjoys the sin. You know that. That's not the answer. The answer is to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How wonderful. Divine power for divine mission. God giving us as a community of believers the Spirit, but also giving the Spirit to each one of us that I can and you can live a life of glory to God and seeing God work supernaturally in the lives of our families and our community through his supernatural power and also having the incredible joy of knowing that God is at work in your life and mine. Supernatural power for divine mission. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I know you want to be part of the story that continues. And I pray that Colonial Baptist Church will always be a church where the story continues, not only in this community, but throughout the world, as you send men and women throughout the world with this similar message. But if it's going to happen, it will take divine power. Now, this week, I'm asking you, when that flesh comes... And when that temptation comes and that laziness and whatever it is, that greed, that bitterness, that lust or whatever it is that comes, that you'll turn to God and ask for his help and for his Holy Spirit. He is a Holy Spirit to help you and to give you the victory over that sin. And some of you are in the darkness, you're confused about a decision, you wonder what you should do about your work, about your family, about some relationship, and it really bothers you. Why not quiet your heart and cry out to God for his wisdom, his answer? This is what it means to walk by the Spirit and to live by the Spirit, and you will have the joy of being Not a perfect portrayal of Jesus Christ. But you will have the joy of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5 being produced in you. That as people look at you, they see something of Jesus in you. And they will ask. And you will have the joy of being part of this continuing story. Some of you here, and you've never yet trusted Christ. And you think how wonderful it would be to have sins forgiven that is offered to you now today as you turn from your sin and you cry out to Christ for salvation. And that God in his spirit will fill you and empower you so that you with us can do divine mission with divine power, supernaturally transforming lives. And so the story continues. Help us, our Father. We need your help. We cry out to you. We are weak We confess our sins. Often we're not characterized by repentance, but we're characterized by rebellion or spiritual laziness or despair. Thank you for this reminder of this wonderful gift, the promise of the Father, this power which comes from heaven. 
this power which comes from on high, this power that comes from you. Fill us with your spirit, Father, and I pray that Colonial Baptist Church will be a church that experiences this power as they do their divine mission. And what I pray for the church, I pray for each individual. For those who don't know Christ, open their eyes to the ugliness of their sin and the beauty of the Savior. For those who are following Christ, Father, help them this week to walk by the Spirit, and so they will not gratify the desires of the flesh and make them part of the story that continues and will continue until you come and take us all home. And we ask it in Christ's magnificent name.